great to see you. Awesome, okay, all right. Well, hey, it's good to be back in Texas. My name's Ben, if we haven't met. Um, I am the pastor of Passion City Church, Washington, D.C. Um, okay, you've heard of it, awesome. Um, come visit sometime. But um, part of the bigger family of Passion, uh, led by my pastor, Louis Giglio, and uh, it's awesome to be a part of Passion, awesome to be leading a church in Washington, D.C., uh, a third of the people who live in D.C. are between the ages of 20 and 35. Uh, and so if you feel like you're just not meeting the right people in Dallas, uh, there's a lot of single people running around in your age bracket in D.C. You know, you live your life, but I'm just giving you options. But, um, but I'll say this. I want to jump in uh, to what God has for us because I'm excited about it. But I do just want to say it's, it's always fun to be back here. Uh, the pastor of Watermark, uh, Todd Wagner, has been an incredible friend to Louie and to myself and come up several times to encourage me in D.C., which has been amazing. And to see what David and his team is doing here is absolutely incredible. Uh, I think you really can in Texas sometimes get used to this, things like this. Oh, yeah, several thousands uh, of single people all get together and, and study and try to figure out what God's doing in our lives. Like, that's a normal thing. It's extremely not. Um, and so just know that you're in the midst of something special, and you're being led by some pretty remarkable people. And uh, that's a gift. It's awesome. And it's fun to be here with you. So thrilled to be here. Mike's here with me. And uh, we just love being back in Texas. Haven't had barbecue yet, so that's kind of messed up. But, um, but it's great to see all of you. So let me read to you a couple verses. Uh, we're in this series about moods. And we're going to talk about one. Uh, and I believe God's going to help us navigate a, a real issue in our lives. And I'm going to read you a couple verses out of Philippians chapter 4. And uh, if you've got to copy of your scriptures, want to read along, Philippians 4. If you don't, just listen. I'm going to read it. We'll pray uh, and then jump in. But Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, let me pray for us. Well, Lord, I want to thank you for everybody in this room, whether they just love you and, and knew the words of every song and, and love singing them, or whether they're just really unsure if they can trust you and if this is worth their time. I think a lot of us in here are God. Anxiety is our reality, and peace is distant and unattainable, but if the peace of God could land in our hearts, this would be a night that's truly special. And if the God of peace could sit with us, boy, the difference that could make. And so, Lord, rescue us from just attending a thing. But I pray even now you'd speak to us through your word. And I, I don't feel in any way powerful enough to communicate what, what I think you want in the lives of your people. So we're asking you to help. And I just want to invite you guys, if you're willing, to take a moment and you talk to God and ask him, if you're up for this, say, God, please teach me tonight.
And then if you would, please pray for me, that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over and over again in the scriptures, we're told this one simple, beautiful truth, that you and I exist to know and enjoy God. That all things are made by him and for him. That in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That nearness to him is our good. And this passage, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. You and I exist to pursue our joy in God, to rest and delight in his love. We are meant to pursue intimacy with the Almighty. That's why you're here. And I would imagine many of you in here know that. You go, I, I want to know God. That's why I'm in a place like this. But if I was to ask you, you would say, intimacy with God, enjoyment of him, is something I struggle to experience in the regular day. Why? Well, if we have an enemy, spiritually, and the Bible says we do, we do I would say his goal for most of us is not to convince you that God's not real or God doesn't exist or pursuing him is not important. He's not trying to convince you of that. He says, if you want to chase after that, man, you go for it. Just make sure you look good while you're doing it. And make sure you go to the right college and get the right major so you can get a good job and get the right internship so you can get on the right team and get a promotion so you can take over the world. But first you got to move to the big city and cities are expensive. You got to get an apartment and you need a roommate and you realize it's real expensive. So you need a lot of roommates. And now you got roommate drama. All right, one just got married. And, uh, but in the middle of all that drama, you realize, but I got to let people know what's going on, that I look good. And so I got to look good on Instagram. And I got to look good on Twitter. And I got to look good on Facebook and on Snapchat. And meanwhile, I'm going to be out here doing this. And then I meet somebody. And we go on a date. And then we go on another date. And we go on another date. And I meet their friends, and I meet their family, and they got to meet my friends, and they got to meet my family. And then we're like, are we doing this? Let's get engaged. Are we going to get married? And then we go, honeymoon, where are we going to go? Where are we going to live? Are we going to live in the city? Are we going to live in the suburbs? Are we going to have kids? How many kids? Public school? Are we going to go to private school? How's this going to work? And on and on it goes. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> and in none of this, at any point did we suddenly go, hey, God's dead the scriptures don't matter, but just we lost him somewhere along the way. And for many of us, you hear that and you go, well, Ben, what are you trying to say? Like, well, the trick is you got to never have kids. You just got to get them out of here. Like, is that what you're saying? Or you're saying, what's the deal, man? Are you saying, what, am I supposed to just move into the hills and wear all linen? Like, what are you trying to say? I got a job. Like, what do you want from me? Well, let me say this. For many of us, our problems are not our major problems. It's our anxieties about our problems that's the problem. Let me say that again because it's important. For many of us in here, your problems are not the real problem. Your anxiety about your problems is your problem. That was Jesus' argument in Matthew chapter 6. He said, don't be anxious about anything. Saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? He said, the nations do that. Those are real things, but don't be anxious about them. He says, but... Seek first the kingdom of God. And notice he makes those a contrast. He said, you're either going to seek God or in your anxiety, you're going to seek to handle a bunch of things. 
And Jesus presents your anxiety as one of your greatest impediments to pursuing your God-given destiny. Don't miss that. There's more at stake here. That your God-given destiny, who you're meant to be, is not going to be reached if you are tied down by anxiety. And so one of the enemy's greatest strategies to keep you from your God-given destiny is to fill you up with anxiety. And for many of us, that's our reality. And what scares me about that is what Jesus warned us about in Luke chapter 8. As he was telling this beautiful story, he was talking about the word of God. And he says, let me tell you what I'm here to do. I want to take the words of God and I want to plant them like a seed deep into the soil of your heart. And when they go in there, they're not just words on a page. It is the word of life. And that seed is going to burst forth into life. And it's going to become a big plant that is teeming with life and bears fruit and blesses others. That's what I want to do in your life through my word. But he says, but there's going to be threats to the word doing that in your life. And one of the threats, he says, when that little plant begins to grow, he said a weed is going to come up and choke it. And his disciples asked him later, what's the weed? And he says, the weed is the worries of this life. That many of us, if we're honest, you don't experience the power of God in your life. Your life really doesn't look that different from any of your coworkers. And the reality is you're not experiencing the power of God in your life because the word of life is being choked out by the worries of this life. And anxiety is keeping you from your God-given destiny. And that scares me for you because God wants much for us and this is a threat to us and we're an anxious generation. Something about modern life is not conducive to human flourishing. We are relatively more safe than any generation that's existed. And yet anxiety is killing us. And that's what concerns me, is it's not just missing out on what God has for us. Anxiety is a condition of the heart that brings forth many sinful states of mind. That anxiety about grades can lead you to be dishonest. There was a study at Rutgers of 32 universities that found that 74% of business students and 68% of all other students admitted to some form of cheating, which I don't know why business students were so much a higher percentage. I don't know if they're just more honest, you know, if they were like, well, of course I cheat. That's how I, that's how I get ahead, you know, or what? Anxiety about your schedule will lead you to break commitments. Anxiety about dating will get you to compromise. Anxiety about finances will lead you to make unethical decisions. Anxiety about being liked will lead you to embellish stories and act really weird at parties. <laughs> Anxiety, for many of us, leads you to seek comfort and refuge in addictions, and those become a whole other set of problems in your life. And then here's my fear. Anxiety, it will literally kill you. I remember when I was in college, I was taking a shower one day, and suddenly I felt like there was this pain in my chest, and, and it felt like someone was trying to like cave in my chest, like I was having trouble breathing, and I was like, what is going on? I thought I was dying there in the, in the shower, and I remember just thinking like, oh my God, like what is happening to me right now? And then I was like, is this heartburn? Like I'd never had heartburn before, and I was like, was it the barbecue? Because I'd been eating off the same plate of barbecue in the fridge for like, like a week and a half. And I was like, oh my God, like, no, like, what a stupid way to die. And I was, I was praying, I was like, God, I don't want to go like this. Like, my roommate's going to find me in the shower. And then at my funeral, they're like, how'd he die? And they're like, it was a barbecue, man. He just kept eating on it way past what was appropriate or safe. And I was like, I don't want to do that. But I made it out of the shower. I made it to a doctor. 
And he ran a series of tests on my heart, and he was like, hey, man, do you drink? I said, no. He said, do you smoke? I said, no. He said, are you stressed? I said, well, I don't know. I'm uncertain what I'm going to major in because I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my life, and I don't know where I'm going to go, where I'm going to live, what I'm going to do. And I'm dating a girl. I'm not sure if she's the one. I'm scared to stay with her, but I'm scared to break up with her because I don't want to be alone. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, yeah, you're stressed. He's like, man, you need to, you need to calm down. And here's what's crazy about that. Preoccupation with hypothetical situations was literally killing me. And for many of you, your stress about hypothetical situations is actually killing you. And it's not meant to be like that. And particularly for the people of Jesus, it's not meant to be like that. We are meant to be different. And let me say this, the world is not impressed when we sing about the Prince of Peace, but live a reality of stress. It's meant to look different. That's what Jesus was saying in Luke chapter 12 when he told his disciples, don't be anxious about anything. He says the pagans do that. He says that my disciples should be characterized by a lack of anxiety. So in the book, The Cities and Bishoprics of Phrygia, which I know you've read, but by way of review, <laughs> as it's talking about inscriptions in the ancient city of Phrygia, there's one where there's a guy's name that worked in Phrygia, and his name was Titidios Amarimnos. And scholars all agree that Amarimnos was not a normal name in that culture in that time. They say that was his baptismal name. That was very common in those days. And when you got baptized, I'm associating with Jesus. I'm buried with him in the grave. And when he rose, I rise into a new life. When you were baptized, they'd give you a new name that was a mark of I now belong to Jesus. So in the book of Acts, Barnabas, that wasn't his real name. That's the name they gave him later, son of encouragement, because that's what he was like. And they say, Titidios, Amarimnos, Ah is a negative like atheist is someone who doesn't believe in theos and God. Amarimnos means doesn't, and marimnos means worry about stuff. So literally, when he came to know Jesus, they said, your name is Tididios, takes no thought of the morrow. I'm not worried about stuff. That Jesus came not just to rescue you from sin and condemnation, but from your anxiety too. Did you know that? And there's some complexity in anxiety medically, I know that, and so I'm not gonna cover every issue that all of us are dealing with tonight, but I wanna show you a path that God has given us that's gonna help us live the life that God built us to live. And you got it in this text. And that's why in verse six it says, don't be anxious about anything or be anxious for nothing, which I love that because there's just permission in that. There is no thing you're supposed to be anxious about. Can that just settle on somebody tonight? There is never a thing you are obligated to get stressed about. And by saying that, I don't mean that you don't care about stuff. I'm not saying that there aren't things you're supposed to carry that are meaningful and matter. You're supposed to. But that shoulder tensing, scalp drying, chest compressing anxiety that you think you're supposed to just soldier through life with, God doesn't want you to carry what he gives you like that. You're not meant to carry it that way. The root of the word anxiety is the word to be drawn in different directions, to distract, that I can't focus on one thing because I'm caught up in many things. And many of us live there, and you're not meant to live there because that preoccupation, it impedes good decision-making. We're not moving forward in a healthy way because we're too caught up with anxiety about so many other things. So we're not meant to be anxious about anything. There's no thing we're obligated to lay up at night stressing about. But 
in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Do you see the parallel there? Be anxious about no thing, but pray about everything. So anytime there's a thing in your life, you go, should I worry about this? No, nothing goes there. I need to pray about this. That's what we're meant to do. Now, before I unpack the specifics of that, let me just say, because I know there's people in here that you're like, oh, okay, so I shouldn't worry at all. I should just pray more like that. Thanks, man. I got real world problems. Like, hey, pray more. Just doesn't really feel like that's gonna solve it for me. But let me tell you something. Before you knock this theory, let me ask you, how's yours working for you? Before you slam on this one, if we were reading your text, what would it say? Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, just pound a lot of carbs for comfort, right? <laughs> like, is that it? And let me tell you something. I'm not knocking on you because I get it. When I first moved to D.C., a new place, new town, somebody was having a conversation with my wife and I about health, and they asked us, what are you eating? And my wife, without hesitation, was like, our feelings. And we were like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I get that that you're nervous about something, you're not even thinking about it, but you're realizing, yeah, anytime something comes up, I don't take it to prayer, I just take it to the pantry, and that's what I do, and that's not solving things for you. Or others of you, when you have a decision you're stressed about, something that's uncomfortable, you don't know how to deal with, you just go for your phone, and you just start flipping through social media and feed more of that insecurity and create a whole different set of problems. Or for some of us to just numb the pain or escape into a refuge, we launch into all manner of addictions. We do. And, but it's interesting. I've read so many recent studies about how to cope with anxiety because it's the issue of our day. And here's the fascinating thing. So many of these scholarly academic studies are saying, you know the secret to dealing with your anxiety? And they're saying things like meditation and practicing gratitude. That modern day scholars are stumbling upon an ancient path that's been ours for centuries, if you understand it. And so I want to show you the path God gave us. And before I give you the specifics again, let me just say this, because I love the tense of the verb. I know. But it says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. I love that, not the tense, that it's in the passive voice. That it's not an active command. Make your request known. It's passive. Let your request be made known. It carries the idea that they want to get out. You just need to let them. That for many of us, if we're honest, like, if your soul is like a tank of water, I don't know how you wake up in the morning, but I doubt many of us, it's just a calm, placid lake. I mean, some of you are maybe like that. When you wake up in the morning, you're like, a chance to worship my Savior. Fantastic. And off you go into the world. For many of us, there's this whole world of stress, of loneliness and finances and conflict and dating somebody and not dating somebody and will I date somebody and status and all these things that are just waiting for us in our soul as soon as we wake up. And for many of us, they're there and you go, what do I do with these? And what many of us do is rather than dealing with them, we go, hey man, I got to get to work. And so what my secret is, is I just stuff them down deep inside. I, I just bury them down deep. And then when I get around people and they ask me how I'm doing, I'm like, great, man, fantastic, it's awesome. No, it's good. You show up in places like this, day, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. God is good all the time, blessed. Not today, Satan, all right, and that's us. And meanwhile, just before, under the surface, we're wondering if we're gonna make it or if we're gonna break. 
And what I love about this text is it's telling you it's not heroic to pretend like you don't have problems. It's not heroic to pretend you're not concerned. And you're certainly not meant to stuff them down deep inside. What you're supposed to do is let them rise. Let them come up. And I love that it says by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. That word prayer is to create space with God. It's just a generic term for creating space with God. And many of you say, well, Ben, I'm too busy for that. Well, let me tell you something. If we're honest, I think for many of us, we're not just uh, too busy. We're, we're inefficient. I mean, there, there's a statement in the military culture, sharpshooters, that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. That if you're trying to rush in shooting, you'll drop a clip, you won't aim, you'll miss your target, and you'll end up being less efficient at your goal. And many of us, when we get up in the mornings, we go, oh, I don't have time to pray and offer these to God. So you just carry them into your day. And what happens? You're inefficient in the way you treat people that these things become the default mechanism by which you speak to your roommate, talk to your people, make decisions, that it's all being driven by this because you didn't deal with it. And so you're good at being busy, but you're not good at being effective. You're like an octopus on roller skates. A lot of movement, <laughs> but hopelessness is setting in because you're not moving forward. And there's a better way than that. We're meant to slow down. Make it an appointment. For me, first thing in the morning helps with that, that I have an appointment with God. And so if someone asks me to meet then, I say, I'm sorry, I can't. I have an appointment. I don't tell them with the Almighty. They don't need to know, but I'm not going to break it for them. That I'm going to sit with the Lord and give myself that space to be with him. And it says by prayer and supplication. That word supplication is more specific. It's specific request that I create space with God. And then what I do is I pull out a piece of paper and I write at the top of it, how do you feel? And you say, why do you write that? Because... I don't often know how I feel. I know that's confusing to some people in the room, maybe a lot of ladies that are very in touch with your emotions. You're like, what do you mean you don't know how you feel? What I mean is, I don't know. <laughs> so I have to write it. How do you feel? And I'm like, uh, sad, confused, scared, alone. It's often a lot of negative feelings. And in that moment, I'll, I'll do what the psalmist taught us to do. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? I'll start asking that. What's, what, what's, what's behind that? And before I walk out the door and start operating out of all those insecurities, I start letting them come up and go, why, why do I feel that way? Well, I'm insecure about this meeting. Why? Because I want that person to like me. Why? Because I want them to give me what I want. Why? Because I can get to the place I want. Why? So that I'll feel important. Whoa. Business meetings aren't about making you feel like you're somebody. That, that's a spiritual issue. You don't need to carry that into that. And so for me, I've given myself the permission uh, there was a movie I watched in high school, like in uh, social studies or something called Madness. And it was all about different mental disorders. And I remember there was one where uh, this guy, uh, it was like way back in the day in America, he was building the railroads and uh, there was an explosion and it drove a railroad spike through the front of his head. Yes, yeah, severed his brain, uh, but he didn't die. Hey, but it severed his frontal lobe, the part that conditions what you say or don't say. And so then they're reenacting his life of like him going to get his job back. And he's like, I want my job back. And they're like, sorry, man, you had a spike go through your head. And he's just like, that makes me so sad. I'm gonna kill you. Hey, you're attractive. What's your name? Wait, hold on. I'm gonna kill you. And this guy's all over the place. And that's how I pray now. I've just given myself permission in that journal. I'm not writing a memoir. And so many people in DC do that. They're like, a lot of challenges today, and yet I will overcome, because that's what I do. You're like, oh, stop. No one's going to read it. 
Write it to God and say, I'm scared about that. I'm concerned about that. I don't know how to feel about that. I'm happy about that. I'm worried about that. I'm angry about this. I'm insecure about that. Just let it rise to him. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And you go, why with thanksgiving? Because you have the opportunity to let this stuff be made known to God. That's why. What's amazing about that is when he commands us to do that, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties upon him. That's a command. If you have an anxiety, cast it on him. And then you're told why. Because he cares for you. And then Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? And he will sustain you. He will not let the righteous fall. I love it. The same command, but for two very different motivations. Cast your anxiety onto him. Why? Because he loves you. Cast your anxiety onto him. Why? Because he'll stabilize you. Cast your anxiety onto him. Why? Because he's loving enough to want to hear them and strong enough to do something about it. It's the best person to take him to. You have permission to sit with the king. You have a father who knows what you need before you ask him. And it's a stabilizing thing to know that. I remember when my daughter came to me one night and she, uh, it was time to go upstairs. And I just picked her up to carry her upstairs. And she went, no, I'm too heavy, daddy. And I was like, uh, okay, one, who told you that? <laughs> and then two, you're not too heavy for daddy, baby. And then I did like a couple presses with her, right? Just so she can see, like, you see what I'm saying? All right. Because whatever somebody told her, she believed that whatever she's dealing with is too heavy. It's not too heavy for me. And some of you are carrying some stuff right now, and let's, let's be honest, it's killing you. Your digestion's not working right. You're socially bound up. You're, you're not thriving in life. And the reality is you're trying to carry it all. And there are some things you need to carry, but you need to keep in mind that he wants to carry you. You got a father who wants to carry you. He says, don't be anxious, little flock. I, I want to take care of you and shepherd you. You, got you just got to let me. Create the space. Be still. Sit before your God because he's loving enough to hear your problems and he's strong enough to do something about them. And he's offering you, come sit with your dad. And when you do, you get a promise in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Abraham Lincoln. There was a day during the Civil War where 76,000 troops were marched into Pennsylvania and panic took hold of Washington. And as these troops marched that close, led by General Lee, historians report Abraham Lincoln had an eerie calm about him and was able to make clear-headed decisions. And so a general that he visited in the hospital that was wounded in Gettysburg asked him later, how were you able to function in the middle of all that stress? And here's what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, when everyone was panic-stricken, I went to my room, got down on my knees before Almighty God, and I prayed. Soon a sweet comfort crept into my soul that God Almighty had taken the whole business into his own hands. Now, did that free him up from having to make decisions? No, he's a leader, but it freed him up to make good decisions. Do you see that? Some of you, anxiety is just making you make really unwise choices. You're supposed to cast that anxiety onto him and be liberated to make wise decisions even in the midst of the stress. That's a gift he's given you. My peace will come guard you. 
It will stand guard over your heart and your mind so you can access your heart in a healthy way and think rightly. You're still gonna use these things. I'm just gonna protect them from the anxiety that's gonna send you running the wrong direction. That's the gift you're given if you'll create the space to sit with him. Jeremiah Burroughs, the old Puritan, said it this way. He said, you don't pour wine into a shaky bottle, which I just love that imagery because you can imagine that. It's like, would you like a glass of wine? Sure. You're like, Mm. He said, you still the glass first, and then wine gets poured in. He said, God has blessings he wants to pour in your life, but you gotta be still. And some of us need to get this part right. He said, it's like a child. When a child comes to you asking for something, it may be a thing you wanna give them, but what are you gonna do first? You want them to calm down. When they come running, can I have a snack? 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 Stop. Stop. And you're like, hey, man, like, like you going to starve? You ever starved yet? Did I, did I decide not to feed you at some point? You got some trauma? No. Like, I'm going to look out for you. Just calm down. Your stress about this dishonors me. But you think I'm not going to take care of you. So be still. Ask calmly. Because no, your father's heart delights to take care of you. Be still. Cast your anxieties onto him because he cares. Do you see it? For me, what I do in the morning is I have this little monitor I attach to my ear that measures not just your heart rate but the distance between your heartbeats. It's to show, they call it coherence, just how calm you are. And when I start in the morning, it has this little reader on the phone and it always starts red, which is bad. And you know it's bad because of the noise it makes as it's, it just goes which is kind of inevitable, like, too much stress, you know, like, you're dying, you're like, oh, man. And so then I just sit there and breathe, let my anxieties be known to God. And as I do that, it's the most interesting thing. It's like, turns blue, turns green. I'm like, oh, okay. I got a clear mind. And what's crazy about it is that's where most mindfulness practices start. Stop, just empty your mind. That's only part one of a three-part move. You're not supposed to just sweep the house empty and leave it empty. You're supposed to put something in. And so that's why he says, cast your anxieties onto him. I release my anxiety to him, but then there's something else I embrace. That's verse eight. Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about those things. And so I cast out of my mind my anxieties and I put into my mind holy thoughts. I release my anxious thoughts and I embrace his holy thoughts. That's what I do. I pour out my anxieties on that page and then I open the word of God. And sometimes I write it out on that page and let Ben's anxious thoughts bend around his eternal word. I put something in me. And what I've noticed is, is I think about these things that are true. What is really true? Let me not take God out of the equation when I'm thinking about where my career path's gonna go. Let me stop suddenly pretending like God's not real when I process who I should date and who I should marry. Let me start thinking about what is accurate about the situation I'm in. What is an honorable way to act? What is just? Start thinking about those things. And as I turn my mind there, it liberates me to function. Jeff Strucker is one of my heroes. Jeff Strucker was an army ranger in 1993, tasked to drive the lead Humvee in the Battle of Mogadishu. The Battle of Mogadishu was famously portrayed in the movie Black Hawk Down, where a small group of special forces were sent into the Somalian town of Mogadishu to pull out two 
high-value targets. It was meant to be a mission that was well under an hour. But in that mission, two Black Hawk helicopters were downed. The mission descended into chaos, and it lasted not just through the day, but through the night into the next day. Sergeant Strucker was in charge of driving the lead Humvee, which was their exfil vehicle. And as he was driving it, they sustained their first casualty in the battle, his friend who was sitting next to him. But as the bullets riddled the side of his Humvee, he was able to make it out of the city alive and make it back to his base. And he said he got out and was just so thankful to be alive. And as he was there, like, oh my God, I can't believe I made it. There were literally thousands of soldiers surrounding them shooting, and I survived. As he's processing that, his commanding officer came to him and said, hey, there's still men trapped in that city. I need you to get in your Humvee and drive back in there. And he's like, you gotta be kidding me. And then one of the other special forces men said, hey, before you do that, you need to wash all this blood out of your truck. It'll traumatize those men if they have to sit in the blood of their fallen comrade. You gotta clean this blood out of this truck and then drive it back in there. And so he went to clean his friend's blood out of his truck and he tells the story that he just freaked out. He said, panic began to struck me and I just thought, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. And he said, it just kept going over and over in my head. This is gonna be my blood, this is gonna be my blood, this is gonna be my blood. And he said, he was completely racked with anxiety. And then in that moment, he started to pray. He started to unload that onto God, his terror about losing his life. And as he unloaded that onto God, the thoughts started entering his mind of what's true. God determines my story, not my enemy. God writes history, not my enemy. And so if God wants me to live today, I'm gonna live. If God wants me to die today, I'm gonna die. He said, if God lets me survive today, I'll get to go home and see my wife and kids. If God has me die today, then I will go home to meet my Savior because he had faith in Jesus. He said, but either way, I'm going home. And the more he focused on that, he said he calmed down. He was able to function. He got back in that Humvee, drove into danger and rescued men and drove out and then drove back again and again and again and rescued his fallen brothers. Why? because he was practicing, I'm gonna release anxiety and I'm gonna take up what is true, what is accurate about who God is, what is honorable, what is the best way I could act in this work environment, what is just, what's the thing I could do in my office that fulfills all obligations to God and men, what is pure, what is the thing I could say that's not duplicitous, no false motives, what is lovely, what's a way to act that would be beautiful to people in the room? What is commendable? What's the kind of way I can make decisions that people would write books about, saying that's the way to live life, that I don't condescend to the least common denominator of my culture, but I rise into the status of heroes in the way I conduct my story? How can I live like that, that if there's anything excellent or worthy of praise, I'm gonna think about those things. That's why I read a lot of biographies, because I don't wanna just react to my culture. I wanna read the stories of men and women who lived great lives and approximate my life to them I want to dwell on beautiful, commendable things because I want to be like him. That I cast my anxiety onto him and I take his thoughts into me. I release anxiety and I embrace the word of God and I let it change me because every good decision is first preceded by a good thought, bolstered by a courageous heart. And as good thoughts are plugged in and a courageous heart feeds them, good decisions are made. So what I'm talking about here is the way you live a good life, a heroic life, a worthy life. It starts here in this lab. And so I want to do this. And not only do I want to read his word, verse 9 says, In what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I love that. He says, I don't want you to just read about it. I want you to walk in it. 
I want you to release anxiety. I want you to embrace my thoughts. And then I want you to excel at the revealed things. So often we want to know God's unrevealed will. And he says, I'm not going to tell you. And then we stress about his job. He's like, let me do my job. I've given you yours. I've shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Love justice. Walk humbly with your God. He's told us. So I'm going to get great at the revealed things. So when I left college, it was a jarring experience. I know many of you have had that where education keeps you on some rails. And then it's just like the rails end and your little train just goes off a cliff and free floats. And you're like, this feels bad. You know, and you're like, where's my life going? And for me, I became a youth pastor. I'd never had a youth pastor. Didn't know what one did. And so I remember I showed up there, and I was like, what do you do? And someone said, well, you got to go ask good youth pastors. So I went and met with great youth pastors all around Texas, and all of them had youth ministries about this size. And they were saying things to me like, well, when you hire your seventh middle school videographer and stuff like that. And I'm like, wait, what? Because I had a ministry of six kids that after a few months I had worked, uh, grown to one kid. And I was like, man, uh, what? And so they're talking about how to build an empire like this, and it was overwhelming. Now, granted, I wasn't doing much, but the thought of trying to take my little and make it big was too much. I couldn't handle it. I freaked out, and I quit, like, like a month in. I felt really bad about that, so I, like, unquit two days later. <laughs> but I was like, I literally don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't even know what I'm doing here. I don't even know if I want to be a youth pastor. Somebody help me. And I remember a mentor telling me, Ben, you got to figure out why you exist. Why has Ben on the planet? And I just came back to the simple truth. All things are made by him and for him. I'm made for him. What's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I would put that in my calendar. If my first reason Ben exists is to know and love God, then I'm gonna do that every day. That's the first thing that lands in my calendar. And for me, the screens in my life were a distraction, so I got rid of my TV. Because I realized my, my God has talked to me and I had never read most of what he had to say. I'm gonna change that. And I just wanted to get near him. And then I wanted to make him known. And what's that gonna look like? Well, for me, it was pretty easy at first. It was just one kid. I'm like, Austin, how you doing, man? And I'd talk to him. And then we grew it back to five, six kids. And I had this little youth ministry full of punks. <laughs> In a technical sense, you know, they wore like all black and like safety pins and whatnot. And... Uh, <laughs> We would sit at Taco Bell and talk. It wasn't stuff like this. I didn't need a microphone. It was just all like, all right, guys, can you scooch? All right, gather in. And I was like, I'm gonna make God known to these six kids. And I would just do that. And I didn't really know how to build. I just wanted to be faithful at what he gave me to do. And as I was faithful with the little things, he taught me more things. And as I was faithful with those things, he gave me more things. And over the course of my life, I haven't known so much of what's coming, but I feel like I'm living a pretty great story because I don't know a lot, but I know him. And I trust him. And so I'm not going to let anxiety wreck me, but I'm going to let his word dwell richly in me. And then I'm going to let my feet walk wherever he leads. And I want to be excellent what is, what is good. And I want to be innocent of evil. Because when I do that, not only is the peace of God with me, the God of peace is with me. Isn't that great? I love that parallel at the end. It's not just that I want to put my peace in your heart to guard you. The very God of peace steps into your story and says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stand with you. I'm here with you in Dallas. I'm here with you in that apartment. No, your family is not here anymore, but I'm here. No, that person is out of your life, but the maker of the stars knows your name and he hasn't lost sight of you. There's purpose in your life. Live into that. Walk with him. There's a beautiful peace there. John Patton is another one of my heroes. 
John Patton was a missionary in the 1800s and sailed to the New Hebrides, a little island that was filled with cannibals. And uh, people warned him when he left Scotland to go there. They were like, cannibals, John! You're going to be eaten by cannibals! And his response was, well, sir, you're advanced in age, soon to be eaten by worms. So whether I'm eaten by worms or cannibals doesn't really matter for me. I just want to be faithful. It's a pretty cool answer. But then when he got there, his new adventure in life is pretty stressful. I mean, you read his biography, it's like an action movie. They should make it a movie. Like he's literally, people are trying to kill him like always. And so he's literally out there like, hey, I was singing the other day, like dodging axes and people coming at him. There was one point where they had surrounded his little hut and were about to murder him and he realized I can't escape. And so he's like, I don't even know what to do. So he prayed and trust God, opened the door and walked out and rebuked them for inhospitality. He's like, you know what guys, frankly, all this murder is rude, okay? Not cool. And he said they looked, they were kind of like, wait, what? And then the, it, got, it got like, it, it messed with them. They were like, yeah, sorry, man, that's weird. Yeah, no, I mean, he's right. I mean, he's right, no, dude. Uh, and then they told him, from now on, we're gonna kill for you. And he's like, well, no, that's not, you know what? Okay, that's a step, let's start there. And uh, he just lived a crazy story. By the end of his story, an entire island that had, he said, been held captive by fear of animism, was terrified of angry and capricious demons that were cruel to children and would murder women. He said he got to a situation where they realized, no, the heavens aren't angry with you. There's a God that loves you. No, the gods aren't making you sacrifice your women and children to them. Your God gave his son for you. You know, your God wants to do something beautiful in your life, not to hold you captive by fear, but to set you free to walk in the liberty of the sons and daughters of God. That's why his son came, to live the perfect life you can't, to be the sacrifice for you that you need so you can be welcomed home, not trying to earn the favor of your God, but resting in the fact that you have it. And it was one night on his journey when it was still very uncertain that he found out again people were coming to kill him a group of men that he didn't particularly trust told him about it and told him you had to flee and they pointed out a tree for him to climb. And he wrote in his autobiography, being entirely at the mercy of such doubtful and vacillating friends, I, though perplexed, felt it best to obey. I climbed into the tree and was left there alone in the bush. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe as in the very arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all of my heart to Jesus. Alone yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I would not grudge to spend many times alone in such a tree, to feel again my Savior's presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. And then he asks us a question. If thus thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all alone, in the midnight, in the wild, in the very embrace of death, 
Do you have a friend who will not fail you then? The answer is you do. Jesus said, don't be anxious. The world does that. Your father knows what you need. So don't worry, my little flock. God delights you to give you the kingdom. So you got a rescuer who's come for you. You're not alone. You got a God who sees you. You're not alone. And there's an invitation before us today to put the anxiety down and to rest in an inexhaustible and unfailing love of a God who knows you and he cares and is strong enough to carry you if you'll let him. Father, I want to thank you that you don't lie to us about the fact that life is hard. In this world, you will have trouble. But we take heart because you've overcome the world. And God, I believe there's some people in this room that their whole life has been about, I got to carry my own self, pull myself up on my own bootstraps, carry my own weight. I got broad shoulders. I can handle it. I can do it. My parents weren't there for me, but I'm there for me. Nobody's looking out for me, but I'm looking out for me. And you've done that, but how long? And you know in the stillness of the night, that's not how you're meant to live. There's something better. Yes, you are meant to carry great things, but you are meant to be carried by the great one. And as Jack said earlier, that's why Jesus came. To be the perfection you're not. By his death to take away your guilt and shame. To draw you home so you can walk in his kingdom for his glory. And I just believe there's some people here tonight that tonight's your night. You need to put your faith in that God for the first time. Say, if Jesus is in the business of healing, I want you to heal me. If the offer on the table is to know God as a father, a loving father, not an imperfect one like my earthly one, but a perfect one, then I want God to be a dad like that. And if you're feeling him call you, I just want you to say yes. I just want you to put your faith in him, to tell him yes. Even now while you're sitting there, if that's you, say yes, God, I want in. Bring me into your family by your grace. And look, I can't see most of you, but I wonder if, well, every head's down and eyes closed, if that's you and you're saying, I wanna come home, I wanna put my faith in Jesus, would you put a hand up for me? Some of you I'll be able to see, some I won't. But it's more about you and God. Okay, I see a lot of them. All right, all right. Nice. Man, okay. Amazing. It's incredible. Praise God. Anybody wanna just tell him, me, God, you see me and I see you and I'm coming home. Well, if that's you and you put a hand up, you just tell him, thank you. Thank you for sending your son to come get me. I believe it. And I receive it. And then for those of us who know him, and, and even if you don't, the invitation's on the table tonight. And here's the thing, I don't want you to leave here and maybe at some point get around to casting your cares upon him. We got a moment here, and we're about to leave, but just if you can hang in, I just don't wanna leave the space and, 
and miss out on a moment right now to not say I'll cast my cares on him someday, but even now, you just got some space here. You got some quiet. And I wonder if across this room we'd be willing to just open up empty hands and say, this is it for me, God. I know you know what it is, but it's helpful for me to just say it. I'm anxious about this. I'm scared about that. I'm uncertain about this. And I don't want that anxiety to drive me. So I'm trusting you, I'm believing you, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do it tonight. I know I'm gonna get one thing right today, if nothing else. I'm gonna do what your word says, and I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna cast this on you and believe that you're there and you care. The band's gonna lead us in a minute, and they're gonna sing, and for some of us, right away, you're gonna wanna rise up, because what they're singing is gonna be the cry of your heart, and you sing it out, brother, and you cry out, sister. Others of us, you're gonna need a minute to just sit and keep pouring out your heart, and you just do that. And when you're ready to sing, you sing along, but let's just have a moment here where we meet with God. Don't let it pass us by. And all across this room, let us cast our cares on him. And then pray by his grace that we would believe that he cares, and he is big enough to carry us. So much bigger we thought he was.